this is part two of a series on the Net Evaluation Subcommittee of the National Security Council. You should probably listen to part one first, or you will have missed some fantastic predictions of thermonuclear doom. But if you're up to speed, let's go on. This is the history of the NESC, part two, Eisenhower's Crisis of Faith. brought another installment of the Net Evaluation Subcommittee's report on the ability of the Soviet Union to wreak havoc on the United States in an all-out nuclear-armed conflict. The details of the 1956 report are sparse. Even after more than 60 years, these reports and their summaries are heavily redacted, if they're declassified at all, and the 1956 report remains among the most elusive. What we do know comes from Eisenhower's diary. He wrote that retired Air Force Lieutenant General Harold L. George gave the annual presentation. The subcommittee's findings were based on two scenarios describing a nuclear attack in 1958. The first of these gave a month of strategic warning, but no one would know the exact hour of the attack. The second scenario was that there wouldn't be a warning until Soviet bombers reached the network of radar picket stations strung across the far north from Alaska to Greenland, known as the Distant Early Warning Line, or Dew Line. The predictions of this second scenario were particularly grim. Eisenhower wrote in his diary, The United States experienced practically total economic collapse, which could not be restored to any kind of operative conditions under six months to a year. Members of the federal government were wiped out, and a new government had to be improvised by the states. Casualties were enormous. It was calculated that something on the order of 65% of the population would require some kind of medical care, and in most instances, no opportunity whatsoever to get it. Now, that is a big change from the optimistic thinking of previous years. In fact, in just three years, casualty estimates had risen from roughly 7% to 65% of the U.S. population. Based on the 1960 census, that would be the injury or death of 116 million people in the United States alone. The first NESC report had described a scenario in which industry not only recovered quickly, but essential wartime production actually survived intact. Three years later, the analysis couldn't assume that any industry would survive. 
Eisenhower called the overall picture of destruction appalling. So what would the actual potential for recovery from a war like that really be? Eisenhower himself summarized the situation. He said in a meeting of the National Security Council, it would literally be a business of digging ourselves out of ashes, starting again. So much for optimism. Industry, the economy, and the population. Just rust, dust, and ashes. Now, while the 1956 NESC report and its summary are missing, the minutes of the National Security Council meeting where it was discussed do exist, and they have been declassified. In that meeting, Eisenhower said, and these are his words, the whole prospect of an exchange of all-out blows with thermonuclear weapons simply staggers the human mind. What he was referring to was the NESC estimate that the Soviet Union could launch an attack in 1959 that could kill 40% of the U.S. population, seriously injure another 13%, and disrupt the political, social, and economic structure of the United States. If the U.S. failed to prepare to fight a war like that, the outcome would be a Soviet victory in a single blow. Eisenhower asked the gathered members of the NESC an existential question. He said, Considering the magnitude and gravity of the problems covered in the net evaluation study, we come to the point of asking how much can or will the United States stand? How much destruction can the United States and its people absorb and survive? The next year, 1957, the NESC report set out to answer him. It described a scenario that fundamentally challenged the idea that the United States could survive a nuclear war intact under any circumstances at all. On top of the annually swelling casualty figures, the report described the state of government control after a nuclear attack as, quote, virtually wiped out, president and legal successors killed, few congressmen remaining, 18 state governments destroyed. The estimation of support for survivors was just as apocalyptic. It said, Post-attack stocks of processed foods would have been exhausted by survivors by D plus 21, 21 days after the attack. The report also addressed the effective loss of 88% of U.S. industrial infrastructure. The recovery, in general, would be in the balance. The week before the report, on November 7, 1957, Eisenhower had been presented with the results of the so-called Gaither Report. This study was titled Deterrence and Survival in the Nuclear Age. It was heavy on deterrence and light on survival. The former Defense Secretary, Robert Lovett, remembered that reading the report was like, in his words, 
looking into the abyss and seeing hell at the bottom. Eisenhower had originally requested that the report address the question of what to do in the event of nuclear war. That would be the survival part of deterrence and survival. But he later realized that he'd asked the wrong question. Instead of figuring out what to do if nuclear war broke out, Eisenhower said, you just can't have this kind of war. There aren't enough bulldozers to scrape the bodies off the street. The 1958 study told the story of the collapse of the national government, widespread famine in the Northeast, a lethal blanket of radiation covering half of the nation, and 15 million dead within a year. The same bad news, but in higher resolution. At the presentation of the report at the 387th meeting of the National Security Council, the president offered his thoughts on this annual thought experiment on the mutual annihilation of the Soviet Union and the United States. He said, there is obviously a limit, a human limit, to the devastation which human beings can endure. This, I think, speaks to the fundamental shift in the character of war and the technology of destruction by the mid-20th century. It is a fundamental break in history. There had been no such limit to endurance prior to the atomic age. The morning after any new height of holocaust and catastrophe, humans just started digging out and planning for survival and revenge. But by the end of the 1950s, Eisenhower's question had to be asked, because there was something entirely new under the sun. The 1959 NESC report was the last to be presented to Eisenhower. It described a Soviet surprise attack with what was termed a 48-hour strategic warning. In a real-world scenario, I would assume that this warning would come about when Red Army divisions started to mass on the West German border and Moscow was emptied of people and the chimneys at the Soviet embassy started sending up smoke signals. For the purposes of the 1959 report, the warning gives the federal government a chance to get out of town and bury themselves in the several emergency sites in the federal arc. The federal arc is a string of secret bunkers and operation centers within about 300 miles of Washington, D.C. The report that year described an aftermath in which blast damage opened windows, walls, and roofs in the homes of 30% of the pre-attack population, letting in fallout. Fires would swallow up 150,000 square miles of the continent. Most of that area would be urban, so the land on which 28% of the pre-attack population had resided would be consumed, 
along with 28% of the pre-attack population, one assumes. And then comes a lethal blanket of radiation over half of the land area of the United States. Eisenhower had been exposed to these reports every year since their inception, on top of the other various commission reports on the environmental and physiological effects of nuclear war. Armed with this body of knowledge, he remarked that it seemed to him that the estimate of the final effects of fallout were too low. He asked his science advisor, George Kistakowski, to comment on whether that might be the case. Kistakowski admitted that no one really knew. Eisenhower injected a dose of his own brand of common sense into the meeting. He reminded those present that fallout from a single Soviet or U.S. nuclear test was measurable globally, and the NESC report assumed a thousand times the fallout produced by all of the nuclear tests up to the present, within just a few hours. So that seemed like a problem to him. He said, in a very reserved and very presidential understatement, that the scientific reports seemed to indicate that the long-term fallout effects would be serious. The chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, John McCone, said that information developed by the AEC showed that fallout effects were undoubtedly serious, but the situation would not be as bad as On the Beach. On the Beach was a 1957 novel and then 1959 film in which the whole world dies under a slowly creeping radioactive cloud and Anthony Perkins puts on a uniquely non-existent Australian accent, but I will leave that up to your own research. Though it might not kill the planet, McCone admitted, after 5,000 megatons of nuclear weapons had been exploded, quote, it no longer matters what target was hit because a lethal blanket of fallout will be produced regardless of the target. Eisenhower digested this and said that a nuclear exchange of the kind they were talking about, quote, might put so much fallout in the atmosphere that no one would want to live in the Northern Hemisphere. Kistakowski offered a measure of cold comfort to the president and said, I do not believe that such a war would make the Northern Hemisphere uninhabitable unless there were more nuclear explosions than those assumed in the net evaluation study, though the Northern Hemisphere would be a less pleasant place to live. Eisenhower agreed with this. I feel sure of that conclusion, he said. During his presidency, and with the help of the evolving NESC studies, Eisenhower underwent a shift in his feelings about nuclear war. He was never exactly a fan, having seen World War II from the top down, but his opinion had changed. 
as he stared down the possibility of nuclear armed conflict during his eight years in office, he moved from understanding nuclear war as a destructive but winnable conflict to an ultimately apocalyptic one. In the early days of the NESC studies, victory through superior numbers seemed possible. Before a more robust understanding of the effects of radiation and fallout reached Eisenhower's desk, rebuilding seemed a natural extension of victory, and life after the war seemed at least marginally livable. But that idea didn't last long. Increasingly, the reports of the NESC described two nuclear powers in parity each capable of annihilating the other. Eisenhower's entire concept of a winnable nuclear war faltered on this fact. During his presidency, nuclear war had come to mean mutual suicide. Engaging in war with the Soviet Union meant guaranteed national ruin. Eisenhower saw this as an inherently unstable situation. It required only one side to initiate the destruction of both. No rational actor could allow that to happen. But that was the problem. The question of the rational actor. In 1956, in a letter to Winston Churchill, Eisenhower explained that he didn't share Churchill's view of the unlikelihood of nuclear war through deterrence. Eisenhower wrote, I do not fully share your conclusion that an end to nuclear war will come about because of a realization on both sides that by using this weapon, an unconscionable degree of death and destruction would result. You will remember that in 1945, there was no possible excuse, once we had reached the Rhine in late 44, for Hitler to continue the war. Yet his insane determination to rule or ruin brought additional and completely unnecessary destruction to his country, brought about its division between East and West and his own ignominious death. What Eisenhower had learned from Hitler was that a leader of unstable character, cornered in an unwinnable position, might choose to fight and die anyway. And in the thermonuclear era, even a unilateral choice to strike would mean universal destruction. In the face of the repercussions described in the NESC reports, this weighed heavily on the president. Eisenhower came to the presidency with a measured hesitation about nuclear war, but he also had assumptions about the usefulness of nuclear weapons. During a news conference on March 16, 1955, he was asked about the potential use of nuclear weapons in a war in Asia, a question born out of the fact that Korea had come to a stalemate in 1953. He responded, quote, 
I see no reason why they shouldn't be used just exactly as you would use a bullet or anything else. But the NESC reports given to Eisenhower during his presidency offered a look at the speed of technological change, of historical change, that would define the early Cold War. From a winnable war to unrecoverable catastrophe, the NESC offered the president a look at not what must be, but what might be in the coming months and years. And in that space, the pause offered by the predictions, Eisenhower changed. At the 1956 Republican National Convention, Eisenhower said, we are in the era of the thermonuclear bomb that can obliterate cities and can be delivered across continents. With such weapons, war has become not just tragic, but preposterous. With such weapons, there can be no victory for anyone. Plainly, the objective now must be to see that such a war does not occur at all. Not just tragic, but preposterous. Eisenhower saw in those annual reports cities rendered mountains of rubble, nations made dust and ashes, the whole world on fire. Destruction of such magnitude that it might rupture all of civilization, fundamentally break the human condition and sever humanity from history and all that had come before. The reports of the Net Evaluation Subcommittee were truly windows on the abyss, and there at the bottom was hell looking back. This week's episode was written and produced by Dr. D.J. Kinney. That is me. This week's music by Kai Engel, Vortex, and Alan Spiliak. Follow The Vault on Twitter and Facebook at Cold War Vault, and check out the website for show notes and links to everything you've heard this week at coldwarvault.com. Until next time.